Good morning. Welcome everyone to our online service again. I'm Pastor Lars Hammer here at Lord of Grace. I hope you're all having a great day out there today. We're going to be switching topics today. We're going to switch from talking about grace to a topic of family. It's just going to be a little three-part series. I'm calling it Faithful Together. And uh, it's, I'm saying that because it's how we're made as people. Uh, we need each other. We depend on each other. And the question often is, how do we do that? And uh, how do we do that as followers of Jesus? How do we make that work in our lives? Now, I wasn't born yesterday. I know that the topic of family in the church can often be a culture war debate topic. Uh, but in all the talk, I think we often forget that the realities of marriage and family life in the Bible are so very different from what they are today. And oftentimes what we think it says in the Bible is not often what's actually written there. And so I only, again, I only have three weeks, so I thought I would just take a little bit of a look at some aspects of biblical marriage and biblical family, uh, maybe point out some things maybe you haven't thought about, and maybe I can show you something new or help you get a better handle on things. So let's start by just going back a couple steps and remembering some of the realities about what marriage and family looked like in the time of the Bible. Uh, first, you don't get much choice in it. When it comes to the issue of marriage, you don't get much choice. Your family arranges your marriage with another family, and they trade goods and cash and property and land, and they seal the deal, and that's it. That's it. The, the institution is about uniting families, about preserving inheritances, about preserving wealth, and about guaranteeing a next generation of heirs to preserve that wealth and inheritance and family status. And that's it. It wasn't about love and fulfilling yourself and all these things that we put into it today. That wasn't part of the picture. The second thing is that your family was your safety net. There was no social security, no disability, no CPS or pensions, there were no 401ks. Your family was it. That was all you had. If you were ill, your family took care of you. If you lost your job, your family would try to find you a new one. Or often you would work in the family business. If you got widowed, you would move in with your family. If you got old, your family took care of you. If you needed financial help, you turned to your family. They were the network you used to find a job, to get a trade, to do business deals through. They were your employment, your fallback, your retirement. They were your childcare and your babysitting. So your family could be a double-edged sword. It was this really tight safety net this really tight protection. But, on the flip side, you were never alone. You were never left to raise kids in your house by yourself with no one around. There were always other people around to help you. You always had this big extended family. You had this big support. On the other hand, because so much of your life depended on your family, they had this incredible power over you. If they decided to disown you, you, you were out of luck. You would likely have to beg or steal, maybe go out on the street. So if your family tells you 
that this is the religion you will follow, and this is how you will practice it, and this is who you will marry, and these are the beliefs you will hold, and this is how you will dress and what you will eat. They have a lot of leverage to make you play along. It made it hard to just break off on your own, to find yourself in a place other than where your family had chosen for you. And this is, this is where we run into Jesus. Jesus has this kind of peculiar family arrangement that we never really get a full picture of in the New Testament. We get a lot of glimpses and a lot, there's a lot of big holes. We know he has one dad, but is adopted by another. And then he has all these half-brothers and sisters. We don't see his dad, Joseph, after he's 12. And it doesn't say what happened to him, where he went. We know that some of Jesus' half-siblings were close to him. His brother James, for example, was one of the disciples. But others we rarely see. We also know that it was the job of the oldest son to take care of mom if she was widowed. So that's part of why I think you see Mary around so much. A, yeah, she loved her son, but we get a sense that uh, it was Jesus' job to take care of Mary. She, he was the oldest son. And we get a sense sometimes, too, that he didn't always get along with all these half-siblings. Like in the Gospel of Matthew, in our reading for today. Uh, let's look at it again. Matthew 12, 46 to 50. Jesus says, or it says, While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is one of those stories about Jesus that makes him look kind of like a jerk. I mean, I get it that maybe you and your siblings don't always get along, but, and that, you know, maybe now that you're a little bit famous, you're, it's a little bit, you know, wondering why now they're suddenly so interested in you. Or what, but to not even acknowledge them? I mean, you kind of think that's kind of mean, isn't it? I mean, your own mom? But what's Jesus saying? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If Jesus was concerned about teaching the importance of family and upholding family as an institution, and if he was concerned about honoring father and mother, as it says in the Ten Commandments, and if he was all that worried about protecting the need to respect authority and elders, and if he was like most people, he would have prioritized his family over the others, even if they didn't get along. You know that old phrase, right? I may hate him, but he's still my brother. Now Jesus is flipping all that around and he's saying, it's not all about blood anymore. It's about your own choice. Your choice to do what God wants or not. Now he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say he rejects 
his mothers and his brothers. He just doesn't put them first above everyone. He has this whole group of people and disciples who've been following him, and he doesn't say to them, you're less my family than blood is. But what Jesus does do is he kind of undercuts what some would see as the whole foundation of society by saying that the real family that matters is the family of believers who follow the will of God. This is your new family now. And it's harsh words if you're the ones who are in his biological family, but it would be music to your ears if you were someone who's been disowned or shamed by your family for being different. It's great news if you don't get along with your family or if they've rejected you or abused you or a family is something that's stressful and oppressive. It's the greatest news ever to those who have families they can count on or because of illness or death or some other problem. To understand how Jesus' rude words to his family could be such good news, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who grows up in one of these really traditional households. They have a particular set of rules and practices. They have particular beliefs. They have told you since you were a baby that this is the only way for you to be. And then you start to grow up and you realize maybe I don't believe exactly like my parents believe and I, maybe I don't want to go into the family business and maybe I don't want to marry the person they pick for me. And you think they love you so when you tell them all of your hopes and dreams and how different you are, they kick you out of the house. They leave you to die. And you're on the street and you have no one. And this is not an ancient problem. This happens today, a lot. And so you're one, but say you're one, and so you're one of these people and you're around there and suddenly you meet Jesus, you meet this rabbi, and he also comes from the country. And he's got this group of, of buddies he hangs out with. And they tell you that there is this whole new family being formed. And it's a family of people who follow God. Now, you're an outcast. You're not, now you're not an outcast, but someone welcomed in. And you say, isn't this a beautiful thing? Freeing, liberating, welcoming. I don't have to be held hostage to a bad family situation, or maybe no situation. I'm in God's family now. This is one of my, this is one of my sort of ideal visions for the church, to be this kind of family where people outside the norms can find a home. But it's hard to reconcile this with what you see a lot, where often Christian churches are on the other side of this debate disowning and shaming and ostracizing. And I hear more stories of people quitting church because their parents didn't accept them for who they were than I hear stories of people rejected or abandoned finding a home. And it makes me sad because welcoming those who have no home, that's Jesus. He's not a traditional family person in the modern sense. He doesn't show much concern that the institution of family will fall apart and the world will 
get taken over by a sort of a washy relativism if he doesn't shame his friends the way their families do. He doesn't seem to think that it's his job to make sure that people support bad family situations or support authority. If anything, he's so negative about it. You have to wonder if maybe he got along so well with people outside of the normal structure. If maybe he got along with people who weren't uh, from such happy traditional structures is because maybe that's where he came from. On the other hand, Jesus doesn't say anything that uh, says we shouldn't have families or anything goes. He doesn't go down that path. That's an extreme that he never seems to embrace. But as a prophet and a traveling rabbi, he's going to teach things that will offend people and gather up followers who will have to make this hard choice of following Jesus or being disowned. And they're not going to make that jump if this new community, which would become the church, if this new community isn't a soft place to land, they're not going to risk giving up the support, even if it's a frustrating support, if they don't have rock-solid love and support on the other side. And so that is where it becomes up to us. So when we get to this topic of Jesus and family, you have to remember that he's always looking out for the people who are on the outside of the system. The ones the system doesn't work well for. The, the people who don't fit in. The people who get pushed out. His heart's with them. Jesus really has a heart for them. And if you're someone that doesn't always find family to be this super loving, supportive, caring, encouraging thing, then Jesus is with you. He says again, whoever does the will of God is my brother or sister or mother. And that's a big mandate if you're a church, to have to sit and rethink how we welcome people so that the church can be a family for those who don't have one, or can be there for people who suffer for their faith because they don't, their family doesn't support them in following Christ. But that's also part of the good news, that Jesus is here for you, and he has a place for you in his family. Amen. Have a great day.